Welcome to the Pain-Free Zone. Your host, Nisi Edwards, is founder of the Fibro Patient Education and Support Organization, and she's here to offer help and hope to the millions of individuals who suffer from chronic pain. Now, here's Nisi Edwards. Welcome, everyone, to the Pain-Free Zone. I am your host, Nisi Edwards. So glad to be back in the studio. We have an exciting show for you today. My guest is Dr. Hal Blackman. Hope you all are doing well and are looking forward to Dr. Blackman joining us on the air. So we're going to be talking today about how food impacts your health. And so um, this is going to be an exciting topic because think about it. Many of you who've been following me for a while understand and know that I was diagnosed with fibromyalgia and a few other conditions. And in addition to that, one thing that I have learned over the years is that health and what I eat, they all work hand in hand. So I'm so glad that Dr. Blattman is with us in the studio and we're going to have an, a great chat today. I do encourage you to contact our listener line to join us on the air. Dr. Blattman. Good morning, Nisi. How are you? Fine. How are you? I'm good. How's my sound? Your sound is good. So, Dr. Blattman, everyone is excited that you're here. And so um, I'm glad that you're here with me today to talk about food and, and health and how they all work together. Yes, indeed. And thank you very much for for doing all the great work that you do to help bring this to people because so much of this information is so confusing for so many because we have so many things that we listen to and so many things that come on um, to us that are in our attention. And how do we know to separate the, the real stuff from the stuff that we should be ignoring, right? Yes, absolutely. And then on top of that, um, a lot of people think that, you know, they can just eat whatever and not to be negative or anything like that by that comment. But what I mean is when it comes down to the foods that we eat, a lot of this is traditional. A lot of this is cultural, you know, different foods that we are accustomed to eating. So for today's show, and by the way, Dr. Blackman is going to be with me here uh, for the next couple of months. We're going to be talking about health and wellness uh, and pain and any questions that you may have for him, I encourage you to send them in. So Dr. Blattman, how, where do you start when you're so accustomed to, you know, your traditional way of cooking or you may have your favorite foods and then you discover, you find out that you now have a chronic illness and sometimes we eat certain things because it's comforting. Right. Let's talk first about why do we eat? You know, what we choose to eat, when we eat, those are not why we eat. Okay. We really eat food, and there's really two reasons we eat. One is to get fuel to burn, and the other is to get raw materials to build new parts. Okay. So think about it that way. What When you talk about fuel to burn, you pull your car into the gas station, do you buy 93? Do you buy 87? Do you buy 56? Or do you buy racing fuel at 100? And it really depends on what is it that you're driving and what do you want to get out of your, your machine. But everybody knows that if you take a Ferrari and you put 87 octane gas in, it's not going to run as fast and not run as well 
as if you put 100 octane fuel in it. Some cars, it doesn't matter. Some, it does. <clears throat> but in your body, everything is going to matter. And it's true. Lots of people eat things that are on our do not eat list, and they don't seem to have a health effect because they have enough resilience to kind of brush that effect off. But when you're sick and you have chronic illness, now it becomes much more critical. So if you put low octane fuel into your body, you're not going to burn as clean. You're not going to have as much energy. If you put raw materials into your body that you can't build good, solid parts with, then the parts you build aren't going to hold up as well. And that's all the way down to every cell you make or repair every minute of every day. Thank you. And, you know, that's not something I feel that many of us are taught. That's right. And we're more concerned with what tastes good and when we're hungry and those kinds of things, which is the way we were raised. But in the final analysis, if you don't put good stuff in, you're not going to get the healing that you need coming out. And a lot of times the diseases and chronic illnesses that we get basically come from the food that has created a reaction in our gut and thereby our immune system that makes us less resilient, makes us lose our health faster. Uh, and if we're going to recover our health, it really has to start with food. Now, when you mention about healing our gut and how it all has to start with food. So I know everyone's body may be different and how we respond to different things, but what's the best way to get started with this? What would you recommend? I think the first thing is that, you know, there's no one diet that is good for everybody. There's nothing that everybody can jump on and do well with. But on the other side of that, there's a list of foods that qualify as being so negative to our biology that none of us should ever really eat them. So the yes. first thing starts with, what is the do not eat list? What do you really need to stay away from? Because that is universal to our species. And there are some core things that I really believe and have shown from our research to be universal. And then there's another level of you personally, what's your body sensitive to? Because at that level, not everybody is sensitive to those foods. So on the broader picture, we should talk about what is the universal list that we don't get away with no matter who we are. And I believe if we have enough resilience to not show a problem from it, it's still affecting us and wearing out our resilience and heading us toward our first major life event um, that puts us in the hospital and gives us a wake-up call. Yes, absolutely. Now, I know on your Do Not Eat list, when I have reviewed it for myself, since I also have an autoimmune condition, you know, you mentioned do not eat, for example, bread flour, wheat, barley, and rye. I bring that up because bread is something many people enjoy eating. You know, a piece of bread, butter, toasted bread, um, that's comforting. Mm -hmm. And, you know, part of it is that the food has been bred and grown to be more and more addictive. Just like cocaine is addictive, heroin is addictive. This food is highly addictive. Just think how emotional and defensive do most people get when you tell them eating that causes them a, an ill health effect and don't take away my bread, 
don't take away my soda. Don't take away my. Well, it's not a matter of taking away. So talk about the science of what does it do to you? What does it cost you when you eat that? And that brings clarity to the question. Yes, that's true. And um, for me, I've tr- I've been working on this. I mean, I'm not a big bread eater to begin with. So for me, that was not a factor. But, you know, the other things, for example, do not eat sugar. That's something I've been very conscious of because sugar is in a lot of things. And when I was in the grocery store, Dr. Blackman, just reading all the labels, you know, looking to see what has sugar, what doesn't have sugar, because it's different names. You know, um, it may say fructose, it may say sucrose, potato starch, um, aspartame, NutraSweet, equals, you know, so many different things and other terminology that if people are now familiar with all that, could be introducing more sugar into their diet. Exactly. And you pay a price for that. But, you know, there's a lot of people who who think I've been tested for gluten. I'm not celiac. That isn't going to affect me. I can eat all the bread I want. Let's talk about that for a minute, because even that person doesn't get away with it. People will come to me and say, can I do a test for celiac? Can I do a test for gluten sensitivity, I'm saying, of course you can, but you're wasting your money. Whether, no matter what that test comes back and says, you still can't eat bread flour, especially bread flour grown in this country. And one of the reasons for that is that the wheat plant has changed over many years, 20 to 50 years of hybridization and change. It's no longer amber waves of grain standing four feet tall It's now one and a half or two feet tall, grown differently. And it's also been grown to contain more gluten. Gluten allows the dough to be more pliable. You can make more fancy stuff with it. It also tends to be a little bit more addictive to our palates and to our brains. But there's something else that gluten does. And let's divert to divest a little bit and talk about something called It almost sounds like it's from outer space. Zonulin proteins. Yes. When you have something or we have something in our body floating down our intestinal tube and our body says, I need a piece of that. And we don't have any active transport mechanisms to bring that through our gut membranes and inside. The lining of our intestine secretes a zonulin protein that opens up a gap in the membrane that keeps us secure, allows that substance to pass, and then the gap closes. And people who eat more bread flour have more than usual zonulin proteins, allowing things to cross more indiscriminately that our immune system now has to deal with, not just in our gut, but in our lung barrier and in our blood-brain barrier. So if you read a book by a colleague of mine, Um, David Perlmutter, you'll learn how eating the bread flour with the extra zonulin proteins in these areas and allowing that toxicity to come across the membranes from your bloodstream into your gut and your lungs and your brain leads to your dementia. Wow. So nobody gets away with bread flour. Nobody. Nobody. And the bread flour grown in this country is particularly more dangerous And there's many who agree, and I I agree also, bread flour grown in Italy, 
is way different than the bread flour grown here and way less dangerous. But having said that, people in Italy still have celiac. So nobody's immune from any of the bread flour anywhere to not cause an ill health effect. And just because you don't feel it doesn't mean it isn't there. And if you're down from the count with a chronic illness, you feel it even more. So coming off the bread flour and not having that anymore is really important. And let's spend just a second talking about how addictive it is. A lot of people in chronic pain have taken opiate medication. And one of the opiates that we take is hydrocodone or oxycodone, Vicodin and Percocet. And truth be told, bread flour has a higher attraction to your brain cells than your brain cells are attracted to the opiates. And the bread flour actually makes the opiates not work for a few weeks. From That's one interesting. So when you say your pain medicine isn't working anymore, I'm going to suggest that you might be eating food that makes it not work, and it would work a whole lot better if you didn't eat that. Now, when you mentioned the bread flour, uh, maybe I'm not pronouncing the, the brand correctly, but someone shared with me, this was years ago, is it pronounced icorn? Are you familiar with that? No. Icorn bread or um, this gentleman that I used to provide health coaching to, his wife used to get this bread, I think he said from Italy, oh, and that's how she would make, you know, bread in their household. She would stay away from all of these types of flowers in the grocery store. So that's why I was asking you that question. So our, to your knowledge, then, our, what is safe to eat if we're going to have bread? Well, as, I, as I made the transition, because this wasn't in a book as I learned all this and saw what it did to, to the people who I was taking care of who had chronic pain for years. None of this was, was out there for us to find. We had to discover it as we went. And I first made the transition to sprouted grain bread. Um, Ezekiel bread is one of the, the brands that is in the uh, grocery store. It's in the frozen food section. That has no flour in it. It's oh. gluten. It's, but it, it, it's still wheat, but it's wheat sprouts instead of wheat grain. And I believe it's organic, so it isn't going to be usually sprayed with Roundup like all the other bread flour in this country is. And so you may be able to use that as a transition for quite a while, and you may feel a whole lot better doing that. I'll give you some pointers. Keep it in the freezer. It grows mold fast if you don't. And toast the slices that you're going to eat right now, right before you eat them. It makes it warm, makes it moist, makes it soft. If you let it defrost on the counter, it's kind of like cardboard. It's not going to be as palatable. But Ezekiel bread can really help out in helping make this transition. I found a lot of my body discomfort went away as I made that transition. And then even more as I took the next steps and went gluten-free. Okay, I have seen Ezekiel bread uh, in the frozen food case at the grocery store. So that I have seen. So I will go back and buy some more of that for myself. Now, if you go for the gluten-free breads, most of them are going to have tapioca flour, tapioca starch, potato starch, 
just like you mentioned before, way more sugar in that bread than you want to have. Okay. So Ezekiel bread, that would be a good starting point. Anything else come to mind? I think that was the easiest one for most people. Okay. Start there. But, you know, if you're attracted to a sandwich, say you like a good corned beef and um, sauerkraut sandwich, and now you're not going to be able to eat it with bread. A lot of those sandwiches, when you pick them up with your fingers, are really sloppy. And when you order your sandwich without the bread and you just have the corned beef and the sauerkraut and the mustard, you get to cut it and eat it with a fork. And you preserve all that mess and you can still have a conversation during your lunch. So maybe you don't lose anything by this at all. And when it comes to wanting your hamburger, and you love your hamburger with a bun, hamburgers and hot dogs can be pretty tasty wrapped in a lettuce wrap. Yes. There's other ways to tackle this besides trying to find a, a bread substitute. But like with any other major change, there is always some sucking up to do. And one of the things I really missed was really good French bread, really good crusted Italian bread. There's no substitute for that that we've been able to find. And you will have to be careful with that. That's true. So the next time I have a hamburger, I am going to make myself a, a lettuce wrap and maybe add some pickles and mustard and ketchup and some hot peppers into that. <laughs> when it gets sloppy, just put it down and cut it with a fork and a knife. It still tastes really good and you're not going to use up so many napkins. <laughs> Thank you so much for those tips. That 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 is awesome because, you know, I think it's a work in progress. I, I think you have to you know, if anyone's here that's listening who are saying to yourself, hey, I love my bread. I don't want to give up my bread. At least try it. Try it to see how it makes you feel. And you have to come to the grips with, I'm ready to give up my pain. Yes. And, and you really have to make that a priority in your life. And you can actually download the rest of the Do Not Eat list going to our website and signing up for the newsletter. Yes, thank you. Thank you so much. I would appreciate that. But like you said, you know, you have to make up your mind. That's what I had to do. Um, I was just sick and tired of being sick and tired of being sick and tired. And then when you get to that point, you have to make needed changes for your health because this is a lifestyle. And it's really um, self-rewarding because if you make these changes a week later, you already start to feel better and you go back and eat what you ate before your body sends you to your room and you feel worse again. So if you can start to make the changes, you'll start to feel better. And as you start to feel better and your body sends you to your room for going back to your old ways, it becomes reinforcing and you, you really want to feel even more better. What else can I change? to make the rest of this pain go away. And most everybody can make- Well, that's a good starting point. Yes. Yeah. But it really starts with the food. Okay. Well, Dr. Blackman, we know your time is limited today. I thank you for being here. And I look forward to picking up this conversation right where we left off. Enjoy the rest of your day. I'll see you in two weeks. And for everybody out there, please check us out, blackmanhealthandwellness.com. Thank you, Dr. Blackman. Bye now. Bye. 
Welcome back to the Pain-Free Zone. Here's Nisi Edwards. Welcome back, everyone. This is Nisi, your host, and I hope you enjoyed that segment with Dr. Hal Blackman with Blackman Health and Wellness Center. Uh, he's going to be with me um, next month, and we're going to be talking more about health and wellness and the foods that you eat. So um, please continue to check us out. So going forward, thinking about everything that Dr. Blotman said, I've been experimenting a lot myself with this to see how these changes will impact my body. So I have fibromyalgia, ankylosing spondylitis, and I'm also type 2 diabetic. And eating bread is not a big thing for me as it may be for many people, but it's the sugar that I have been focusing on staying away from. Think about all the times you've gone to the grocery store and you pick up something. Do you read the labels? If not, I want you to start reading the labels because you want to start working on reducing your intake of sugar. Sugar, you can find it in a lot of the products that you're buying. You may not even be aware of it. Uh, It may say the words, Fructose, sucrose, starch, potato starch, tapioca starch, tapioca flour, corn starch, corn syrup, and cane juice. You want to avoid those things as well as artificial sweeteners. So when I say artificial sweeteners, how many of you, when you dine out pre-COVID or maybe some of you, you know, maybe have some of these products in your home, you know, those, we identify them. Some people say, hey. The, you know, the yellow packs, the blue packs, meaning when you think about aspartame, NutraSweet, equal, um, those packets on your table that you may buy at the grocery store or when you dine out at a restaurant, that's how many people identify what it is. So you want to avoid those artificial sweeteners. It's just not healthy for our bodies. And uh, one of the alternatives that Dr. Blackman gave was stevia. So what I've been working on is transforming everything that I have been eating. I don't know about you. I can't do all this at one time. So what I'm doing is in my home, I'm in the process of developing what I refer to as my own wellness kitchen. So when I say wellness kitchen, or you can just call it a a healthy kitchen is when I say transforming, I'm going through my cupboards, my kitchen cabinets, I'm removing things in there that no longer serve me, no longer serve my body. And where I'm starting with is sodas and drinks. So I stopped drinking sodas a few years ago. But what I love to drink are iced teas. And a lot of the iced teas, when you buy them, do have lots and lots of sugar in them. I give you an example of that. I went to the local coffee shop and I asked for uh, an iced tea and they said, do you want it sweetened or unsweetened? I think the first time they didn't even ask me. They just gave me what I requested, the the um, the iced tea. Later on, when I started not feeling well, I went to their website and reviewed their nutritional content because I was just kind of curious at that point to see how many grams 
of sugar was in it or how many carbs. Because as I mentioned, I'm diabetic. And it was about 40 grams of, of, of sugars in, in the drink. And I said, okay, no, 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 I can't have this. Think about it. Those sugary drinks, if you don't feel that is impacting your health or your weight, this is what I would like you to do. So I bought a scale and it is one of those Bluetooth scales, or I should say Wi-Fi scales that connects with my, my iPhone and on it, I can measure, you know, and track my weight. So I did this experiment where I would drink my favorite iced teas, weigh myself. I didn't weigh myself every day because I don't believe in weighing myself every day, but I did track it. And then I discovered that the sugary drinks like the iced teas, how it was creeping up weight. Not a lot of weight in the beginning, but still I was noticing those subtle changes that it was creeping up, creeping up. The other thing that I notice is, and this you will notice right away, is if you're type 2 diabetic, when you drink these sugary drinks, what I want you to do is check your glucose before you've had it. See what it looked like. Maybe an hour or so later, I would like you to check your glucose again to see what it is. And that's how I discovered for me the impact all of the sugar was having on me. It was my glucose. And you know what happens when you have a lot of sugar? Think about when you go in and you have your A1C check. So your A1C, your your doctor, your endocrinologist, or your PCP, who's ever managing your diabetes, they're going to check your A1C every three months. And that was a real wake-up call for me. My A1C had drastically increased. And that is because of all of those sugary drinks that I had been consuming that was iced tea. And I was stunned. I mean, because they tell you ideally they want your A1C to be at least six or definitely under six. My A1C from drinking all of the sugary beverages of iced tea jumped to, I believe, 7.3. It wasn't that way before, but it increased to that level. And when they asked me, hey, Nisi, what's happening? You know, what are you doing different? Because your A1C is substantially higher than it was the last time. I knew instantly what the cause of that was. That was due to what I was drinking, which was iced tea. Many people think, hey, it's tea. Tea is good for you, but it's what you put in the tea to flavor it. So what I do now is I have uh, unsweetened tea. That works better for me and is actually a reward for me because I love tea. Um, and it's relaxing for me. I don't care if it's cold tea, you know, or warm tea. I'm a tea drinker. I love tea, but I no longer focus on having a sweetened tea. Um, I was at Starbucks. Sometimes, you know, people may give me a gift card. I'll go there, but I tell them, give me unsweetened tea. They says, you don't want any sweetener? No, 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 no sweetener, you know, and that's tempting. And also 
that can be addicting too, I find, because if your body is used to having certain things, in this case, since we're talking about iced tea and beverages, if your body is accustomed to you consuming different things and you stop, your body lets you know. So for example, when I cut out having those sugary drinks and I stop, I remember going through a period of time where I was having headaches and I couldn't figure out why am I having all these headaches? You know, my blood pressure is not high. I didn't eat anything salty. You know, I'm talking to myself and trying to analyze what was happening to me. And then I thought for a minute, I said, oh, I know what it is. It's all those iced teas I was consuming that had sweetener in it. I no longer do that. So now it's unsweetened. Now, you don't even have to go to those places to to get iced tea. You know, you can just make a picture of iced tea at home. The one thing about when you make it at home, you can control what's in it because you know what you put in it. So when I say control it, you know yourself what type of tea you added to that iced tea. So I received um, some tea yesterday. So one of my favorite places actually to purchase my tea from is from Hawaii. Uh, When my husband and I visit there for vacation, there are different places that I enjoy visiting because the teas are delicious. And uh, I bought some tea from them that one brand, it was for, for anxiety and stress. The other one is for, you know, to help with your immune system. They have no sugar in them whatsoever, of course. But as you can see, I'm making healthy transitions. So I'm no longer having anything with sugar in it. And I'm moving towards everything sugar-free. And that seems to work better for me. And you know what else I discovered? And um, when I check my A1C, things are improving. And not just the A1C, it's those daily checks of your glucose to see what your numbers are. Now my numbers... They're looking very, very good. So I'm confident when it's time for me to have my next A1C that the numbers will have improved. So think about that in terms of, you know, sugar, all this important. I have people who love fruit juices, who love carbonated beverages like, for example, the Pepsis, the Sprite, the Mountain Dew, the Gatorade, Powerade, all this vitamin water. I mean, You know, it's a lot of different types of beverages out there that people like to consume. And I stopped drinking, you know, these sodas, like I said, years ago. The reason why I stopped consuming them is because, to be honest, it really scared me because when I started doing my own research and learned about how all this can affect your liver and your kidneys, I decided right then and there, no, I don't want to go to out. I don't want to go down that road. I, I need to, I can't use the Pepsis or the Cokes or anything like that. The Coca-Cola drinks. No, no, no. So I stopped that years ago. Now, some fruit juices that I like, I've noticed that with some of these places, when you get your, your iced teas, they may even add with it some fruit juice. So I no longer do that either. Okay, that I I no longer do. But instead, what I have added to it was berries. When I make a picture of iced tea, I add berries to it just for, you know, that flavor, just for that taste. And sometimes if I don't have um, 
berries, then I may slice up a couple of pieces of lemon and even lime. And I love that because it's very refreshing. But the most important part is it's healthy. It's healthy. It's keeping me safe. And I don't know about you. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. And this is a lifestyle change. So if you're listening and you're thinking, Nisi, that's just too many changes to make at one time. The key is get started. Get started somewhere. Maybe you're someone that loves your bread. Okay. Maybe you're someone that when you have a meal, you like to have a piece of bread with some butter. Thinking about what Dr. Blackman said, he mentioned the Ezekiel bread. I have seen, in fact, the Ezekiel bread in the grocery store. Uh, a lot of grocery stores have it. It's in your frozen food case with the other bread products. Is there the Ezekiel bread. So follow his, his guidance when it comes down to that. At least start somewhere. Maybe you're not a bread either, but maybe you do consume a lot of sugar and the things that you eat. Then maybe start there. Be mindful of what you're introducing and putting in your body. So start somewhere. So I mentioned that I'm overhauling my kitchen. And what I'm doing is I'm going through my kitchen cabinets, anything in there that um, because I'm a baker. I love to bake. I love to cook. So therefore, I probably have, to be honest, a lot of products in my kitchen cabinets that I can't use anymore because of the sugar. And uh, those I'm going to be getting rid of and replace them with healthier items. You know, there are many healthier items out there, but if you don't know about it, you don't know where to look and you don't even know where to start. So I just want you all to just be, you know, conscious about what you're eating. So with my kitchen makeover, what I'm doing is I used to sometimes like to have, for example, spaghetti and meatballs. But I've noticed for me when I would make spaghetti, some of those pastas, oh, my goodness, it was raising my glucose. And I knew nobody had to tell me I knew. Nisi, you can't eat this. You cannot have this. I mean, even if I only had a cup of spaghetti with meatballs, my glucose would rise. Even if I only had a half a cup with no meatballs, it was the pasta, which is the bread that was affecting me. So in the grocery store, I have seen that they do have more um, plant-based pasta, you know, so... That's an area to look for. And uh, we'll talk more to Dr. Blackman about that when he joins us again. But starting with my kitchen makeover, any pastas or anything like that, I'm not going to be using those anymore. And in addition to that, think about something as simple as uh, tomato sauce. So I made that change years ago when it comes down to tomato sauces, because with tomato sauces, you've got sugar. So it's not just the sugar I'm focused on, too, which is important, but it's the sugar as well as also the amount of sodium, the salt that you're consuming. So when you go buy tomato paste or tomato sauces, look at the label. 
Look at how much sodium is in that product. Look at how much sugar is in there. So I made for dinner the other day a pot of chili. By the way, my husband loves my chili. I I feel that I'm a good cook and he loves my chili. But what I buy when I buy the tomato sauces, it is very, very low sodium. So when I say low sodium, sometimes you will see the amount of sodium can be five or 600 milligrams of sodium. So when I say low sodium, the cans that I have been buying either have no salt at all, or it may be something that may have about maybe 70 milligrams of sodium. So that works for me. So we're going to step away and take a break and we'll be right back. Stay with us. You're listening to The Pain-Free Zone on TalkZone.com. Here's your host, Nisi Edwards. Welcome back. We were talking about, um, you know, developing healthy pantries in terms of the foods that you consume, what you have in your kitchen cabinets. And so we were talking about the sugar and the sodium. Um, The American Heart Association recommends no more than 2,300 milligrams a day and to move towards an ideal limit of no more than 1,500 milligrams per day for most adults. But that's something you can verify with your physician. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a nurse. But this is the information that's on the American Heart Association, heart.org website, and you can see it for yourself. Um, And because many people eat excess sodium, that can significantly increase your blood pressure. So when I was mentioning about cooking, when I'm in a grocery store and I am buying products for um, ingredients for making, you know, different meals, such as this case, chili, I'm looking for low sodium because if you're not careful, think about 2,300 milligrams that the American Heart Association says we should have no more than that a day. So let's break that down to 2,300 milligrams. Some people can have one meal, which has an excess of 2,300 milligrams of sodium. You may be thinking, how is that possible? How that's possible is, let's say you go to a fast food place and you have a, a breakfast sandwich. That breakfast sandwich may have seven milligrams of sodium. That's 700 right there. Okay, then you may have uh, hash browns. Then you may have pancakes, okay, and all the other stuff that the fast food place offers for your breakfast. You can have have easily eaten 2,300 milligrams right then and there. Some restaurants. I was at uh, one place the other day for carryout. I was looking at some salads, just a simple grilled chicken Caesar salad. I pulled up their nutritional content and their nutritional content for this salad said that it had 1,700 milligrams of sodium. Think about that. 1,700 milligrams of sodium in a salad. I said, my goodness, what are they doing? I looked at all the ingredients. It says lettuce. It said tomatoes, um, it said Parmesan cheese, 
and it says croutons. So I tried removing, you know, the ingredients just to get an idea of what that would bring it down to. What I decided was the bottom line, that place was not healthy for me to eat. I looked at another salad. It had 2000 milligrams of sodium. So the point that I'm making is there's sodium in a lot of places and there's a lot of salt. Maybe even in the lettuces that you're using, you know, there's a lot of salt. I really don't know. But since we do not know how things are grown in our country, you have a lot of foods out there that are GMO, meaning they're genetically modified. We have to take extra care of our bodies and be mindful of what we are feeding our bodies and not just our bodies. Maybe you have at home, maybe you have at home children, maybe you're married, maybe you have a partner, maybe you have your grandparents or whomever at home with you. So be aware of that. So here are some sodium related terms you may see on food packages. So when they refer to sodium free, for example, that's less than five milligrams of sodium per serving and contains no sodium chloride. Very low sodium is when they refer to 35 milligrams or less per serving, okay? Low sodium is 140 milligrams or less per serving. If it's reduced or less sodium, that may be at least 25% less sodium per serving than the usual sodium level. And then there is light for sodium reduced products. And that may be reduced by at least 50%. So what I do is when I'm buying the tomato sauce, I'm buying the can that says no salt um, because I don't want to play around with that. And you know what? You don't have to have salt in it because by the time if, if by the time you get to home and you're making your dish, you can add your own fresh herbs and spices to it. So when I say fresh herbs and spices to it, there is a place in the Chicagoland area. The name of it is called the Spice House. That's actually the name of it, the Spice House. And I go there usually quarterly, uh, buy an abundance of uh, herbs, you know, and seasoning. And they do have brands and seasonings there that do have salt in them. But when I'm buying the fresh herbs and spices on their website, as well as in the store, you can buy the kind that say no sodium. And that's what I purchase. And many people think that when they're cooking and preparing meals at home, that they have to have a whole lot of salt. Actually, you do not. Just be mindful, again, of what you're putting in your bodies. So when Dr. Blackman was on the air, he mentioned when we were talking about um, certain things when it came down to the bread flour, you know, think about, making that change. For me, the main reason why I started making all these changes is because I was having some health issues and it seemed like one thing on top of another. One thing just just kept compounding the other thing. It seemed as though once I got one thing under control, here comes something else. I get that under control, here comes something else. And I just grew tired of it. I think, you know, you're gonna reach a point in your life where you're just going to have to get to the point and say, you know what, as much as I like eating X, Y, Z, whatever it is, it doesn't like me back. It's not good for me. And then the other thing is it costs you money. 
when you go to your doctor. Some of my co-pays for the primary care doctor, his copay, whenever I see him, I have to pay $25 a visit. When I see my specialist for the rheumatologist, that costs me $40 a visit. That adds up. So think about it. When things are out of control, your your blood pressure, your your glucose, just a lot of things. And you have to keep going to see these doctors. And if you have to make numerous appointments or have numerous checkups in the course of a month, you can be paying out a lot of money and just co-pays, meaning that that you have to pay up front. And then if you haven't satisfied your deductible, then you're going to be paying a whole lot more out of pocket. So my question for you is, is it worth it? Is it worth it to you? Because think about that is money that you could be saving towards other things. Money that you can be saving to reward yourself and some capacity. I mean, that's how I look at it, that, you know, reward yourself. If you reward yourself, take care of yourself, that money that you saved can go a long way. You know, it could go a long way towards buying something extra special for yourself that maybe money was tight or you didn't have the extra money. Um, Reward yourself. So that's how I reward myself. That's how I'm able to buy my favorite teas from Hawaii and other places because I'm rewarding myself by cutting that back from eating certain things to introducing more healthier things to my diet. And the reason why this is significant for me is because being diabetic, I have to watch what I eat because it's going to affect my glucose, my sugar. It's going to raise that. And I'm checking my glucose several times a day. And in addition to that, having an autoimmune condition, what that means is I am on a biological drug. The one that I'm currently using is Symphony. And... um, It helps reduce the inflammation in my body, in my joints. And a lot of this I can also control with the foods that I eat, make healthier food choices, which I'm working on. And uh, for me, some of the foods that I cook is typically poultry and sometimes I may have beef. But what I have learned from Dr. Blattman, um, is even incorporating grass-fed meats into my diet. That I have been doing also. I've even been focusing on where I purchase these meats. So think about this. When you go into the grocery store, what I want you all to do is keep a journal. It doesn't have to be anything fancy or anything like that. It could be a notebook. You can get a notebook from the dollar store. Be mindful and write down what you're eating. Okay, that's going to be important so that think of it as a food diary. If you make a list of and track what you're eating so that when you start having these headaches or upset stomach and you can't figure out what's going on, look at that list. That list is going to give you a clue as to what it could be because food does play a big part and your health and wellness. Truly, it does. So getting back to when I said about the autoimmune, 
So I take the symphony injection once a month to reduce the inflammation in my body. Food is the food choices that I make are going to help me even further. I feel that the medication can go. And that's the goal that I have set for myself to change everything that I'm eating. I can't make all these changes at once. It may be overwhelming, but I pick and choose what's going to work best for me. So what have I picked thus far? I'm reducing the sugar, as I mentioned. I'm not having any sugar added to any of my iced teas, okay? Even when I make it at home, I don't have um, any, I don't add any sugar to it. And two, I mentioned about um, the salt. Well, I'm not big on salt anyway. I never use salt when I cook. But because of some of the products that I purchase can have salt in it, I'm very mindful of that. So think about that. So when you have a condition, an autoimmune condition, and you're on these biological drugs, yes, they help you. But the other part of that is you pay a big price for that because it costs money. These these biological drugs are very, very expensive. And if I can impact that and reduce the cost of that by eliminating certain foods from my diet for optimal wellness is worth it. And that's what I encourage you to do. The best place to get started is to start looking at what you have, what needs to go. I'm not saying throw everything out at once because that's expensive to do. Make small changes, make small changes that you're comfortable with. That may mean some easy changes to make would be Watch the sugar in your diet. Watch the bread that you're eating. Look for the Ezekiel bread. When I purchased the Ezekiel bread, I think it was maybe $4 for a loaf of bread. I don't, I very rarely eat a whole lot of bread, but I have purchased it um, in the past. Think about the foods that you're eating. If you cook more at home versus dining out, that's a good place to start. But if you're cooking at home, I mean, real cooking, real foods, not the stuff in the frozen food case that has already been pre-cooked because a lot of that stuff has nitrates, it's high in sodium, it has a lot of preservatives in it. That's not what I mean by real cooking. I'm speaking of nutritious foods. Maybe it's baking the chicken, okay? Maybe it is having some fish, not farm-raised fish. I'm speaking of fish caught in the ocean. Okay. Um, There's a lot of different things you can do, even beef. You know, cooking a nutritious meal at home. Another good start would be eating more vegetables. I'm eating even more vegetables than ever before. So uh, I encourage you to check it out, make some changes for yourself. So thank you for joining me in the studio today. And Dr. Blackman will be back with me next month. Hope you've enjoyed today's show. Thank you for tuning in. We appreciate it. Thank you.